1: tailored book recommendations, the perfect last-minute gift for the readers in your life. Is your favorite book lover hard to shop for, or are you running out of time to shop at all? Give the gift of TBR Book Riot subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes, which you can schedule to show up in your loved one's inbox on whatever day you like. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or year-long subscription, and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then, we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations Just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly non-fiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow writer Kim Uchura. We're recording on Saturday, December 19th. Hello, Kim.
0: Hello, Alice. How are you today? Kind of sleepy. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, chugging along. How are you? You know, I feel kinda low energy a little bit too. It's like it's like four, almost five o'clock right now and it is basically dark where I live. And that this time of year is always just super hard because there's like so little daylight and you just you wanna hunker down and not see anyone, but also that's not really great for mental health either. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a fair point. It's uh it is right before five
1: PM and the street is very dark that I'm looking out on and there are street lamps on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. When I woke up this morning, it was it was dark. So it's a, it's just, it's a tough time of year, I think. Once we once we get to the solstice and we start to get more daylight, everything feels a little better to me. Agreed. Do we have any follow up? We do actually. Um. So last episode, we were talking about tracking books and Goodreads, and that's what we both kind of use, and uh, also kind of bemoaning though that uh, Goodreads is owned by Amazon and it's not a great website and all of that other stuff. So uh, a listener, Carolyn, emailed in to let us know about something called uh, the StoryGraph. So it is like Goodreads, but without the Amazon corporate doom. Uh, it gives you loads of stats, and you can import your Goodreads library so you don't lose it all. Uh, she says that she, Carolyn says, she's a convert from Goodreads to StoryGraph, um, which uh, right now the website is beta.thestorygraph.com. And you said you actually like, like, tried it out. I didn't get a chance to yet.
1: Yeah, I saw the, the note from Carolyn, and when she said you could import your goodreads library i was like oh okay so i went to the beta the website and they actually have really easy instructions it's like three steps about how to import your goodreads library which is basically you go there they like give you a link you export it and then you just import it <laughs> like it's really really easy and it had all of my stuff and it's much more aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. i will mm-hmm. say than goodreads and it's um uh, i feel like the goodreads website has probably not been updated in like. I don't know ten years something like that who even knows yeah who knows indeed and if anyone's ever tried to use the search function you know it's like uh, just broken beyond belief so it was it's a it's a very pleasant experience they also give you some really nice like um pie charts and like breakdowns so if you import all your stuff you just have those already available to you um which is really nice so uh thanks uh, either Carolyn or Caroline not sure which one.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, too, the other thing that's cool is that it they do, like, emotional or feeling descriptions of books. And so if you, like, put a book in and look at it, it gives you stuff like, this book is adventurous, challenging, mysterious, and slow-paced. And so you can look for books and recommendations based on, like, those kind of um, more feelings-y kinds of descriptions rather than just, like, fantasy or something like that.
1: Oh yeah, and then they break down your reading by that too. So like, oh. 2019, it was like you liked informative reads, which you know what a surprise. <laughs> but then for 2020, it was like you like funny reads, and I was like, "Yep, this all totally tracks."
0: Oh, that's <laughs> right. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna upload my stuff because I'm really curious because I got to imagine that my 2020 reading is like you enjoyed comforting young adult novels. <laughs> 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 Pretty much it. So, thank you, Carolyn, for the, the recommendation for the story graph. That's really awesome. So, um, our first sponsor for the episode is uh, Bookmarks, a customizable journal to record your reading life. Meet your new reading buddy, an all-in-one spot to record everything and anything book-related. Inspired by bullet journaling, Bookmarks offers ideas for setting up a multitude of book tracking pages with a mix of fill-in prompts, charts, lists, and plenty of dot grid pages to customize. To expand your literary horizons, the journal also includes a section of recommended reading lists compiled by Book Riot. Use bookmarks to jot down when you're, what you're currently reading, what's on your nightstand, your favorite quotes, new vocabulary words, memorable characters, your reviews of recent reads, and more. As a clever bonus, the back flap has a punch-out bookmark, which is super cool. So go to bookriot.com/bookmarks tracker to get your copy, uh, and that sounds real fun. It's really cute. Yeah, the the cover is super cute. It has books with faces, which uh, delightful, delightful. All right, so uh, for this week's episode, we're going to skip nonfiction in the news and move right into our main topic, our favorite nonfiction of 2020. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the nonfiction of the year that we have missed, either missed reading ourselves, missed talking about the podcast, missed for whatever reason. But um, before we get into favorites, I thought we could just chat a little bit about our reading year, which we sort of did already, but I would love to hear more about how you feel your reading year went, Alice.
1: I mean, what a question, right? <laughs> I always get, going back to Goodreads, I always get a little bit indignant when they offer my my year of reading on, like, December 15th. And I'm like, excuse me, we have so much time left. It's true. I think that I've definitely been reading more comics than usual, which I've noticed I do in stressful years, mm-hmm. right? Because then you get that, like, oh, I finished a thing, like, hi. And then yes. it's also, there's a lot of good comics out there. So that's definitely upped this year. Um, I've also read more books than I have any other year, possibly because of the high number of comic volumes. And yeah, I don't know. I've definitely been leaning more towards funny memoir Mm -hmm. things. But what about you?
0: Yeah, I think I've uh, – I haven't done my full stats for the year, but it's definitely, from what I can tell, like more fiction than nonfiction this year, which I think I've been reading kind of as a comfort. Um, the other like thing I know about this year in reading is that I did a lot of fiction on audiobook, and I think that's maybe skewing the stats just a little bit, but I did this thing where I would – um like do series or trilogies or whatever and i would do them on audiobooks straight back to back to back and so i would spend just like all this time with this one set of characters So like i did maureen johnson's truly devious um young adult mystery trilogy i did those straight through i have listened to four of five of jasmine guillory's romance novels uh, and i did those essentially back to back to back and i'm just waiting on getting the fifth one from the library and then recently I did Marissa Meyer's Renegades trilogy, and those are like 16 hours long, and I did all three of them back to back to back. Wow. So that's been a weird – I don't normally – I don't feel like I normally do that with audiobooks, so that's been kind of an interesting change for the year. But yeah, in nonfiction, I think I read a lot of it early in the year, and then later in the year, I've been leaning towards things that are shorter or memoirs, like you said, stuff that's a little less intense, I would say, because 2020 has been an intense year <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I feel like I also, I mean, I, in any year, I like a, a nature themed book, but that's also a bit like there's this one called Earth Almanac that came out this year. And um, I'm I've been reading it like the slowest way imaginable because it consists of like, it's a compilation of this guy wrote, he wrote like this new like article, like a byline for some nature magazine. And he just publishes like all of those. And so it's like tons of paragraphs that are just about random things in nature that he like sees on his nature walks mm-hmm. so he's like you know the vernal pools are like a, a buzzing hive of activity within. like and it's just he has like a little paragraph about a vernal pool in winter so i read like three of those and then i put it down and
0: yeah <laughs> it's just been really nice yeah i honestly think like I have a hard time with like really long books anyway but this year in particular like anything that's really long or with very tiny font I just I have a real hard time with because it doesn't feel like it's going fast enough and I really have needed that feeling of like I finished a book you know because like there's nothing you have control over except like finish this you know. Oh, I have like four reading tracker
1: (laughs) spreadsheets this year. I don't know why I need different ones, but yeah, it's definitely been like (laughs) this
0: I have total control over. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's been, it's been strange. So like a good year, there's been a lot of good books, but also just, I think, I think if I looked back at like stats for 2020 compared to other years, like you would definitely see them being different in some significant ways.
1: I almost wish someone would do, like, a study of, like, reading in 2020 and, like, how people's habits oh have my changed gosh, yeah. just for this year, right? Yeah, That'd that be would be... Someone, like, put that out on Twitter and just get some responses. That would be fascinating.
0: I would love to hear that.
1: Oh, I do want to make a final comment because today I finished um, Dickens's Martin <gasps> Trunowitz. Alice, you did it! I did it. Yes,
0: it happened. Good for you. I want to, like, <laughs> do... I'm making that, like, celebration emoji uh, if that was, like, a, an action. Thank you so much. I have indeed.
1: Uh, I had been reading it for four years. So uh, finally finishing it is a nice feeling. I immediately bought the follow up. Not bef- Well, it's not a follow up, right? It's like the next novel that mm-hmm. Dickens wrote, *Dombey and Son. So, you know, look forward to hearing a completion thing from me on that
0: in uh, 2024, four years from now. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into some specifics of our, our favorite books of the year so far. And I, I always want to preface this section with saying, like, I did not read nearly all of the anywhere close to all of the books that came out in 2020. So this is very particular to me and the stuff that I finished and is not not a best books. It's a it's a favorites books, which I feel like is important to, to caveat. All right. So uh, my first one is uh, Rust, A Memoir of Steel and Grit by Elise Colette Goldbach. And um, This one came out uh, early in the year, and it is a memoir about a woman's story of working in the backbreaking steel industry to rebuild her life. Um, so uh, Elise Colette-Goldbach, she graduates from college. She has a lot of debt, has a lot of personal things going on, and so she kind of is not sure what to do. And so she applies to work at the Arcelor Middle Steel, uh, which is a steel mill in Iwanis... To... It was near Cleveland, um, and so this is a chance for her to like get some financial security, um, but also like working at a steel mill as a woman as a uh, an anomaly. It's strange, and so um, she writes a lot about what it is like working in the mill, about the people she met, about what the experience is like, like physically what it did to her, and. All of that, which is really fascinating, but what I really liked about the book and I think why it made my favorites of the year is that it's not just about that. It is also about, there's a lot in there about mental illness and some of her um, struggles with mental illness uh, through college and then into her working life. It was about growing up in a conservative Christian household and how how that shaped her as a child. and then when she went to college, how her views changed and evolved over time. Um it's about like finding purpose and meaning in your work and in like outside of your work and in your life. and it's just there's a real a lot there, and she's so descriptive and just a really interesting person to follow through the mill and like understand what it is like to work there and really like gain an appreciation, I think, for like what truly like hard challenging work that is um and i just i just found the whole thing super fascinating so that is rust a memoir of steel and grit by elise collette goldbach i've read part of that and
1: i think one of the things i thought was really interesting was like the mill almost like politics mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like like where you work is like really important in terms of like status and then yeah um how long you've been there and like all this other stuff yeah
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of safety and, like, different jobs are safer than other jobs, although all of them are dangerous to a degree. Um, And so, yeah, like, getting into certain groups or seniority affects, like, how safe you might be in this, like, very, very difficult working situation.
1: Agreed. Uh, So my first pick I've talked about semi-recently. It is uh, Shit Actually, The Definitive 100% Objective Guide to Modern Cinema by Lindy West. This is uh, Lindy West used to write for um, the Seattle newspaper, um, The Stranger, where she would she was their in house movie critic. So a lot of her writing was just about movies. And then, you know, she moved into feminist criticism, which is also really good. But her movie writing is so funny. And I love this book so much. And, like, it's one of those things where thinking about it, I'm like, I just, like, recently read it, but I should read it again. Because <laughs> it's – because it is so um, – I was going to say episodic, you know, because mm-hmm. every essay is just about a different movie. So you can very much, like, dip into it and be like, oh, now I want to reread her essay about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or Bad Boys 2 mm-hmm. or Face Off. And <laughs> I know I said this when I, when I first talked about it, but, like, you absolutely don't have to have seen these movies. Like, there were a number of them where I had never – seen them and i still was like this is hilarious and it kind of made me want to watch them right so mm-hmm. you can watch them and then you can read the essay again and be like oh this is great so i yeah genuinely like i want lindy west to keep writing feminist criticism but i also want her to write more hilarious movie reviews so yeah it is uh, again shit actually the definitive 100 objective guide to modern cinema by lindy west
0: Yeah, I listened to that one on audiobook and I 100% would listen to like 25 more hours of her movie reviews and recaps. They're so great. And like they're very funny, but also they helped me think about some movies that I hadn't really thought about critically before and like what kind of the like messaging is of them. And I think it's a really great example of how like our favorites can also be problematic and we can enjoy them while we can also talk about how bad they are in some like certain ways. So, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Uh, All right. My second pick is uh, Why We Swim by Bonnie Swee, which is a book about the joy of swimming and water. And I picked this one because when I read it, it was so comforting. I think I read it back in like April, right? So April was stressful and scary. And trying to figure this out. And this was just like such a nice book to read. And then reading about swimming and just being like, ah, yes, okay, there are great things in the world. So um, it's a memoir about sort of her love of the water and swimming. But then she does this really awesome um, interviews with lots of other people to give other perspectives on swimming in the water. So like, there's a whole chapter where she talks to people who are cold water swimmers, um, and who do that for like health and personal reasons, which just sounds like I could never I don't think I could do that because I hate the cold so much. But It was fascinating. There's a chapter where she writes about a swim club in Baghdad where people in Baghdad after the Iraq war and um, soldiers and all these different people would swim at this club and what it taught some of them. There's a a chapter about a Nordic Nordic fisherman who survived multiple hours in freezing cold water after a shipwreck and like what that taught him and what it taught all of the people and I think the Icelandic town that he lived in. Uh, No, Nordic. He was, I think it was anyway uh who lived in the town (laughs) that he was from um and just all these other really interesting interviews so it's just it's charming and calm and nice and makes you just feel good about everything i thought so why we swim by bonnie sweet
1: that's so nice i have never been a good uh swimmer Mm. at all so, uh this this didn't initially draw me that much. However, I do love reading about people talking about something that they love doing. Um mm-hmm. so that seems like maybe enough of a draw there. Um my next pick is We Keep the Dead Close, a murder at Harvard and a half century of silence by Becky Cooper. We've we've talked about this. I think Kim and I separately talked about this book uh recently on the podcast. And I th- oh I think I talked about it for like the books we're looking forward to in like the second half of 2020 or something like Mm -hmm. that but anyway it turns out it was great and (laughs) becky cooper like i don't know how she does it um especially she's i think she's in her 30s so like when writers are that mature and that capable of like of spinning a complex narrative i'm so impressed so um if you didn't hear us talk about it recently this was in the 1960s a A Harvard graduate student in the anthropology department was found murdered in her apartment, and it went unsolved, but there were rumors, you know, like, flying around Harvard for decades after, which Becky Cooper heard when she was an undergrad there, and then kind of became obsessed with the case and, like, solving it. So the threads that she follows are, like, it's the murder itself and, like, researching – the student who got murdered, and also kind of her story as she's like, she's also, you know, talking about her research process, as well as what was going on in the 60s. And then she also is talking about the subsuming of Radcliffe, the women's college into Harvard and kind of the erasure of its history there. And you know, those sort of um, feminist tensions that are, are still in existence at Harvard, and definitely were there in the 60s. And it's just, Again, like while all of these different things are going on, they're kept distinct enough from each other to not confuse the plot. And that's just I find it so impressive. And it's such a fascinating story. Kim, do you have any other sort of things to add about it?
0: Yeah, I think, I thought it was like maybe a titch too long, but I, I totally agree with you on like the way that it's structured and the way that she puts the whole thing together. is just, It's just remarkable because you just like keep flipping the pages, even though it's this really, really long book. And I never felt like I, it wasn't until like the very, very end where I was like, okay, I really just want to know what happened. Like you're, it's fun to spend the time like going down these rabbit holes and different things with her. So yeah, I, it's it's really remarkably Put together, which I, I like a lot.
1: So, yeah, that is We Keep the Dead Close. Sorry, that's sad. A Murder at Harvard and A Half Century of
0: Silence by Becky Cooper. Excellent. All right. So, my next pick is I think maybe I liked it in a similar way or for similar reasons, like in the structure and how it was built. And that was Hidden Valley Road Inside the Mind of an American Family by Robert colker And so, this is a book about the Galvin family. Uh, and they, in the 1960s and 70s, 12, Don and Mimi Galvin had 12 children. 10 of boys and two girls. And over the next 20 to 30 years, six of their 10 sons were diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so the book is the story of this family, how they, how Don and Mimi met and their life with these boys, with their children and how the boys like eventually were diagnosed as schizophrenic and then how they're living today and how their sisters have kind of coped with all of this. So it's a a story about this family, but it's also the history of mental illness research. So the Galvin family was one of the very first families to be studied by the National Institute of Mental Health. And so their um, family, their genetics, their family history has played a big part in our our current understanding of schizophrenia. And so it's a, a really interesting family story, but also an interesting story about the history of mental health research. And so... One of the things I I liked a lot of things about it, but I think the thing I really admired about it was the way that it's structured. Like there's 12 boys. They all, you know, have like basic, really basic names. And so it felt like, boy, I could really lose track of all of these different people. But he does such a good job of structuring it and giving you sort of like guideposts about how you remember which brother is which and kind of the major life events that happen to each one of them. So he takes this really big and complicated story, focuses it on this really big family and then focuses you in again on the family so you can really understand them. And I just thought it was such so well done that I read the whole thing and I felt like I totally understand what understood what was happening here. And it, um, there's I will say like trigger warnings, there's quite a bit of violence, and I, so I think that's something to just be aware of, but I think he does a really empathetic and kind story about this family. So uh, I really liked that one I thought it was really good.
1: I'm really hoping I can get to that in 2021, because yeah, it's, it's been on like, yeah, so many best nonfiction of the year lists. And just like, I remember you talking about it like months ago and saying how good it was. And sounds great. Um, my next pick is Wandering in Strange Lands, A Daughter of the Great Migration Reclaims Her Roots by Morgan Jerkins. If you like kind of like travelogues and sociology and American history. Um, This is a really good combo of all of those. So the title, right, like Wandering in Strange Lands is there's in uh, the Book of Exodus in the Bible, right? That's where Moses says his famous, a stranger in a strange land. And that's like Morgan Jerkins is referring to, in her context, the Great Migration. So this was between 1960, 1970, six million black Americans left uh, their homes in the south and moved to cities in the north, the west and the midwest. And through this, Jerkins decides to basically try to rediscover her roots, which is the the subtitle, right? This daughter of the Great Migration reclaims her roots. So she goes to Georgia and South Carolina and Louisiana and Oklahoma and California and like interviews the people there and also talks about the story of these people who have been like displaced and disenfranchised. And it's just really fascinating. She is Again, this is like, you know, this like you no know, I was about to say next generation of writers. I guess that they're <laughs> they're in their thirties. Maybe it's not necessarily like next generation. But like these women are so impressive and are doing such good work. And I'm just like weirdly proud of them. But um the the work that Morgan Jerkins is doing and, and this piece in particular, she also has a uh, first book out that I have not been able to read yet, but this one is, is much more speaking to my like love of history, you mm-hmm. know? So I was really psyched, but yeah. So if you like all of those things or any one of those things, I would recommend this. So Wandering in Strange Lands, A Daughter of the Great Migration Reclaims Her Roots by Morgan Jerkins. That's an awesome
0: pick. That one is on my books I didn't read this year that I should have list. Uh, so that's one I'm hoping to get to in 2021. All right, so my next pick is uh, Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close by Amani Tussaud and Anne Friedman. And so this is a dual memoir. They wrote it together about friendship. So Amani Tussaud and Anne Friedman are longtime, very, very close big friends. Uh, They co-host the Call Your Girlfriend podcast together and have done other projects. And so this is just a book that is about why friendship is important. Why having close friends who you can count on, who, you know, found family kinds of friends matter. So they write about how they became friends, how they foster their friendship. They talk to experts and stuff about how you can foster your own friendships. Um, They talk a lot in the book about kind of the challenges that happened to their friendship. They had a, a really period of time where their friendship was really tested. And so they talk a lot about that. It was a really interesting chapter about interracial friendships and what that is like. And uh, they also talked to other, some of their other friends and experts in friendship to really understand it. And I think the the biggest part of the book is about why we need to invest in our friendships in the same way that we do other relationships. And um, I think in particular, this one really struck me this year, because it was such a hard year to like connect with our people. You know, we couldn't see people in person the way, at least I couldn't, the way I would normally. And so You had to find other ways to like foster and support those friendships. And then in the times when we did get to see each other, it felt really important to do that. And I said yes to seeing people virtually or like outside or whatever more times, I think this year than I have maybe in the past, just because I was so grateful for those opportunities when I could find them. So I think this is just like a particularly important book to me this year, which I think is good. So Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close by Amani Tussaud and Anne Friedman.
1: That's so nice. I think I had that in the the nonfiction newsletter this week Mm -hmm. of like great nonfiction from 2020. So I'm glad that you talked about it. Okay, so my next pick is Disability Visibility First Person Stories from the 21st Century, edited by Alice Wong. So this is an anthology, so like a bunch of essays, and it is for the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, So that was originally 1990, uh, commonly known as the ADA. And this has chapters like, or essays rather, like the erasure of indigenous people in chronic illness, um, the isolation of being deaf in prison, radical visibility, a disabled queer clothing reform movement manifesto, taking charge of my story as a cancer patient at the hospital where I work. Like, there's so many different types of stories told in this book. And it's the and not to go back always to the cover, but the cover's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, you just kind of <laughs> highlight that sometimes. But like, not only is it like a collection that you don't normally see, but like, it's voices that you don't normally hear mm-hmm. in the culture. And I do feel like that is changing bit by bit but this is part of that work right to change it so i'm i'm really glad this came out this year and um i i just really really recommend it so disability visibility first person stories from the 21st century edited by alice wong
0: excellent pick yeah that one always sounded really good and i i feel like i had it checked out from the library and then i returned it without reading it, and i bummed that i did that so yeah good pick All right, so my final pick for uh, favorites of the year is one that I actually don't think we ever talked about on the podcast because it missed my radar until I saw a bunch of people posting about it on uh, Instagram and Reddit a few weeks ago. So that is uh, The Undocumented Americans by Carla Cornejo Villavicencio, and this is a book about undocumented people living in the United States. So uh, the author is originally from Ecuador, and she became um, she's an undocumented immigrant, and she became one of the first undocumented students admitted to Harvard University. And so the book is a little bit about her, it's partially memoir about her experiences being an undocumented person in the United States and kind of the challenges that that brought for her and for her family and the just mental um, gymnastics and awareness and stress and tension that you have to live under knowing that you are, are not legally allowed to be in this country and yet you have a life here. But then she also goes and does a bunch of interviews and conversations with other undocumented people from around the United States who have made enormous sacrifices to pursue the American dream for what it is. And so she interviews undocumented people in New York, uh, Flint, Michigan, which was fascinating, uh, Miami, Cleveland, and New Haven, and kind of uses their stories and her own experiences to kind of put together this like partially reported, partial memoir, partially there's like some kind of stream of consciousness parts. Like she's she's kind of playing with format in some really creative and interesting ways. And it's just like a really, one of those books that you kind of get into it and you just keep turning the pages because it just, it just flows and it just goes to the next thing and next thing and next thing. It's really hard to put down. I read an article on Medium about it and they called it an immigration punk manifesto, which I was like, that, right, that's, cool. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know exactly what that means, but that is exactly what this is. And it just, it has this very, just like, momentum kind of feel to it and it's really it's really interesting and the stories she's telling are they're heartbreaking but they're also important and just it's really good so uh, that was the undocumented americans by carla cornejo via vicencio i'm just really delighted by the phrase phrase immigration punk manifesto that's that was great i know right so good good job good job Medium.
1: Um, my last pick for uh favorite nonfiction of 2020 is what we don't talk about when we talk about fat by Aubrey Gordon. Aubrey Gordon was the very longtime anonymous uh writer behind Your Fat Friend, which is a Twitter account, also on Instagram that you can follow and uh is essentially like a, a fat activist, right? So what we don't talk about when we talk about fat is her discussing the history of the of the sort of fat activism movement and the different tacks that they take, like kind of, you know, like this is how this is how I interpret that, like what fat activism means. And like it, it's so many different roads you can go down, which is just how she like opens it, opens the book. And then she talks about the history of how we view fat basically in America and what like how that came to be. The one of the things I thought the most was the most interesting was her talking about BMI as a measurement which was invented in the mid 1800s by a belgian man as a way <laughs> it was a way to try to find like the average size of like belgians <laughs> and then has since been taken <laughs> Like and I do think that it's uh, at least in in some ways that I've heard, I think it's it's being discounted a little more and more, right? Uh As like a a, a clear measuring tool, but has definitely been used like by the government and by insurance companies uh, and and a lot of other ways that are really harmful to people. So she basically talks about uh, anti-fat bias, how it is really rooted in our culture, which like one hundred percent, and not only that, but has been getting greater over the last um, decade or two like they've been she like talks about studies that they do and like um, I think in one it went up don't quote me on this but somewhere around like 40 percent that can't be right but maybe it is but it's just like it's nuts and kind of how the wellness movement is like repackaging the um, diet movement because the diet thing is like you know kind of out of favor so instead they're saying wellness but by wellness they mean being thin Mm mm-hmm and it's just, like, it's really made me think a lot <laughs> about, like – and she says that, right? She's like, you can't just, like, passively say that, like, oh, you're – you know, you don't have any negative feelings about fat people because you do because of the culture and the system that we're in. And talking about how America makes it so much about individual – basically it being the onus is on the individual as opposed to there is a problem with the system, which I think we're seeing more and more that's the case, mm-hmm. which is good, but also not – Not part of what we've been told for a long time. So anyway, uh, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat, it's it's pretty short, but it's a great book by Aubrey Gordon. Fascinating. That's a really good pick, too. And with that, our second sponsor is Read Harder 2021. So this is Book Riot's annual challenge. Uh, Read Harder 2021 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. There are new genres, new authors, new points of view, and this challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books that you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. You can read a romance by a trans or non-binary author nonfiction about anti-racism, middle grade mysteries, uh, and more in this year's challenge. So go to bookriot.com slash read harder to get the full challenge task list and to print out the prizing for those who complete the challenge that's right prizing so that is bookriot.com slash read harder
0: excellent yeah i i failed at read harder this year but every year i always i always want to try again but this year was an epic fail (laughs) that's fine All right, so uh, for the second half of this episode, we wanted to talk about nonfiction that we missed this year. So either stuff we didn't read, stuff we did never talk about on the podcast, things that we wish that we had gotten to that maybe maybe 2021 will be the year. Uh, so my first pick is World of Wonders in Praise of Fireflies, Whale, Sharks, and Other Astonishments by Amy Nizuka matatio uh, and so this is a book that came out in September that completely missed my radar until Barnes and Noble named it their book of the year. And then I was like, whoa, a nonfiction book that's the book of the year? Like, what is happening here? And then I saw that it was on a bunch of best lists, and I was like, how did I even miss this book? But So I bought it, and I started reading it, and it's really awesome. So the author is a poet, and this is her debut work of nonfiction, and it's uh, some essays about the natural world and, quote, the way its inhabitants can teach, support, and inspire it. So it's a bunch of short little essays with some illustrations that are about various places that she has called home, um, Kansas, Arizona, New York, Ohio, and then talks about experiences where she turned to the natural world for guidance. Um, And it's another one, I think probably you would like it, Alice, one of those just like nature is awesome. Let's talk about birds and nature and stuff like that. And I've been finding it very soothing. So I'm excited to, um, Keep reading it. So that is World of Wonders in Praise of Fireflies, Whale, Sharks, and Other Astonishments by Amy Nizuka Matatio. We should talk about birds. Indeed.
1: I remember this coming out and I remember there being uh, an unexpected amount of buzz around it. Um, I have not been able to pick it up yet, so I'm glad that you mentioned it. So my first one – this is another one that's on a lot of, like, Mm -hmm. end-of-year lists, and I'm sorry I haven't been able to get to it yet, but it is Memorial Drive, A Daughter's Memoir by Natasha Traithaway. So at 19, she had her world turned upside down. Her former stepfather um, shot and killed her mother. So – In the wake of this, so, you know, at 19, my goodness, she confronts the pulls of life and death in the aftermath of this unimaginable trauma and explores the way this experience um, shaped the artist she became. So she is a Pulitzer Prize winning poet. So that's kind of like all of this, right? She's talking about this tragedy in her past and how it led to um, this career, this life that she has. She looks at the profound experience of pain, loss, grief as an entry point into understanding the course of her mother's life and the way her own life has been shaped by this legacy of uh, quote fierce love and resilience. And this starts through like her mom um, grew up in the segregated South, and then she was a uh, quote child of miscegenation in Mississippi, and then talking about her sense of dislocation and displacement in um, the lead up to to this murder of her mother, uh again when she was nineteen. So I mean, obviously a a heavy book, perhaps why I did not pick it up in twenty twenty, but it has indeed been so praised across the board that uh
0: I think it's it's probably worth
1: picking up. So Memorial Drive, a daughter's memoir by Natasha Trithaway.
0: Yes, that one is definitely on my list too of uh ones that I wish I had gotten to this year. I'm on the library hold list and it is real long. (laughs) All right. Uh, Unsurprising. Yeah. All right. So my uh, second pick for this is The Fixed Stars by Molly Weisenberg, which came out in August. And so Weisenberg is the author of two previous memoirs. Um, her first one was about um, starting a food blog after her father died and then sort of her experiences getting into cooking and then meeting her husband. Uh, her second memoir is about opening a restaurant with her husband. And this third book is about her rethinking her sexuality and uh, what comes out after that. So the impetus of the book is that uh, at 36, Molly, she ser- starts serving on a jury, and while she's there, she feels very drawn to the f- a female attorney on one of the sides of the cases, and she just cannot let go of this, and that experience totally alters her life and what she thinks about herself and her sexuality and her family and everything. And so it's a memoir about desire, identity, and family um, and goes into her uh, coming out, her separation from her husband, her divorce, coming out to her friends and family, co-parenting her child, and then how this whole experience changed her ideas about love. And I um, have this one. It's on my shelf right now. And I just, she's a beautiful writer. And I just, I think this one is going to be really great. So I'm excited to get to it soon. Uh, The Fixed Stars by Molly Weisenberg. I didn't know that's what that was about. Mm -hmm. That
1: sounds great. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know exactly what that cover looks like, too, because I've seen it everywhere. I thought it was about astrology.
0: (laughs) No, no, it's not.
1: (laughs) Um, if any of you look at the cover, you'll understand why I thought it was about astrology. Okay, that sounds great. So my next pick is Vesper Flights by Helen MacDonald. Uh, Helen MacDonald wrote H is for Hawk, which is a book you will see in most bookstores on a nonfiction shelf slash area, even if it's a small one. It was, uh, it did very well. So she in that one is talking about mourning her father, and then also her relationship with this, I'm going to say goshawk. Mm -hmm. it's g-o-s-h-a-w-k it has to be because the word hawk it's not like gosh hawk anyway so she is obviously a nature writer like right well maybe not obviously but she is writing about these birds and in vesper flights it continues that but it's less of a a through narrative and more of a collection of her essays um this includes nostalgia for a vanishing countryside uh the tribulations of farming ostriches Mm -hmm. which yeah that that sounds hard (laughs) i don't (laughs) know why you would want to do that um and then talking about like the uh observing the massive migration of songbirds from the top of the empire state buildings and and seeing these like tens of thousands of cranes in hungary basically it's about birds but also about life This, again, I haven't read it yet, but I am really looking forward to it because I liked Ages for Hawk a lot. So if you were into that or if you're like, I just want to read a lady who loves birds talking about life and birds, then this is for you. So Vesper Flights by Helen MacDonald.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I've seen that on some best dev lists as well. So good pick. Uh, all right. So my next pick is uh, the address book with street addresses reveal about identity, race, wealth and power by Deidre Mask, which came out in April. Um, and this one is on my radar because I love books that explain how things work or like why things are the way they are. And so this one is all about the origins and implications of the names of the roads on which we reside. So the premise of the book is like, we think about street addresses as a way to help like find you like you can tell people where you live but uh, street addresses can also reveal race and class in different areas and so she looks uh, at the fate of streets named after martin luther king jr how ancient romans looked around how na- nazis haunt the streets of modern germany and uh, also what it's like to not have an address and what that means and so i just I don't know, just a book about the idea of explaining why addresses are the way they are and what some of the broader societal implications for that are sounds real fascinating to me. So that is The Address Book, What Street Addresses Reveal About Identity, Race, Wealth, and Power by Deidre Mask. I had to review that
1: book, and I think you'll love it. Excellent. (laughs) She talks about stuff like why we have even and odd numbers on different sides of the street. Like like there's like lots of fun, like how we, yeah, yeah. Nice. That's a good pick. Okay, my next pick is White Tears, Brown Scars, How White Feminism Betrays Women of Color by Ruby Hamad. Taking us from the slave era when white women fought in court to keep ownership of their slaves, through the centuries of colonialism when they offered a soft face for brutal tactics to the modern workplace, White Tears, Brown Scars tells a story of white women's active participation in campaigns of oppression and offers a long overdue validation of the experience of women of color. So uh, Ruby Maj, she covers um, subjects from the Hunger Games, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, to the 19th century lynchings of Mexicans in the American Southwest, and just shows the division between innocent white women and racialized sexualized women oh how this division was created right so you'd be like oh no like the white women are just fine and then you have this very uh, villainous sort of portrayal of women of color and why we need to confront this right it's not just saying oh the, yeah sure that used to happen but doesn't happen anymore which is number one not true number two has been um much like this other stuff we were talking about with the sort of like uh, aubrey gordon's book these things have been set into our history, they have informed our media, like, this is not something that it's like this happened in the past and doesn't affect us anymore. It definitely still does. So um addressing that and confronting our own biases and how they're even like unconsciously there, but just like looking at them is important. So White Tears, Brown Scars,
0: How White Feminism Betrays Women of Color by Ruby Hamad. Awesome. That sounds like an excellent pick as well. And yeah, on my list too. So uh, there we go. We have covered our favorite nonfiction, some of it, and a few of the books that we wish that we had gotten to. And I know there's like a million more that you could put in both of those categories. So I would love to hear other people's favorites of the year, um, because I know there's a ton of stuff that we missed and haven't talked about. So with that, we will wrap up the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading right now at this very moment. Uh, and mine is actually another 2020 nonfiction book that I missed when it first came out. Uh, it's called The Devil's Harvest, A Ruthless Killer, ter- A Terrorized Community, and the Search for Justice in California's Central Valley by Jessica Garrison. Uh, and so this is a true crime book about a meticulous serial killer named Jose Martinez, who uh, killed a ton of people in Central California. Um, and what is, I think... Interesting and different about it is that his victims were primarily poor people and people of color and the kinds of and undocumented people. And so people who didn't get the kind of attention and um, police presence that they might have. And so one of the things he kind of admits to and talks about is that, like, part of the way he was able to evade law enforcement is that the people he killed aren't people that the criminal justice system truly cares about. And so it's a, a great true crime thriller, I think, but about. A different set of victims than we normally get true crime books about. So um, I'm just a few chapters into it. It's already super fascinating. And Jessica Garrison, the author, spent a lot of time actually interviewing him. And so I think it's going to be just very creepy and interesting. But you know, sometimes you just need something real creepy. And that's where I'm at right now.
1: Um, understood. I feel like that's a lot of serial killers end up saying that, right? Like they they preyed on the people that society mm-hmm. ignores or forgets um, because they know that it's more likely that they will get away with mm-hmm. it, um, which is horrible. My current read, I'm tr- I mean, I'm reading a bunch right now because I'm trying to meet my 2020 goal, but five books from the end. I'm currently mainly reading Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. I have been carrying around my hardback <laughs> massive copy of this since college, which I don't mind saying has been about 15 years. So um, it's traveled to many different apartments with me and has just sat there unread. I asked a group of friends if they would be willing to do a read-along with me, which I highly recommend to anyone who is struggling to get through a larger read because it just holds you accountable and you can, like, you know, be like, we're going to read the first 250 pages by this date and then we're, you know, it's it's just a way of getting it done. That's also how I finished the Chernow Hamilton. But I'm, re- I'm liking it. It's definitely so long. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh i basically start laughing every time i pick it up because i'm like how did this not only get published but it got it was so lauded Mm -hmm. when it came out and i'm just like how (laughs) but again it's it's a very impressive work and frequently funny and if you like uh victorian literature especially you will enjoy it but um oh my gosh that's all i have to say on that So with that, uh, if you want to tell us, you know, reads you really enjoyed uh, in 2020, they could be fiction. We, you know, would love to hear about the nonfiction. You can message us at It's Alice Time and at Kim the Dork.
0: Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Thank you, Jen. And if you have a few minutes, we would love it if you take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us more easily, and then you can subscribe while you're there so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. So with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.